Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, since he was a little boy, Bob had heard that his father, his grandfather, and even his great-grandfather had all walked on water on their 21st birthdays. And he's like, wow. So guess what? Well, when Bob, on his 21st birthday, he called his good friend Brian, and they headed out to the lake, and he says this, if they did it, I can do it, he insisted. And they got into the boat, and they paddled out in the middle of the lake, and Bob stepped off to the other side of the boat, splash! He nearly drowned, and Brian pulled him out of the water, and they headed home embarrassed and soaking wet. And when Bob arrived back at the family farm, he asked his grandmother, Grandma, why can't I walk on water on my 21st birthday like my father did and like his father and his father before him? His grandmother took him by the hand, looked into his eyes and explained, that's because you were born in July, dear. Your father, your grandfather, and great-grandfather were all born in January. Now, it takes a little bit to get, right? You're going, I'm not sure if I... When I read this illustration, I kind of went, I don't get it. But, but no, 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 so think about it, guys. All three before him were born in January, which means the lake was frozen, right? They all walked on water. Well, he was born in July, and there he goes, splash right into the water. You get it now, right? You feel like, oh, I get it. Oh, boy. Boy, am I dumb. No, you're not dumb. Just kidding. It's just one of those. Now, now, listen. Listen, church. We all know that we can't walk on water, okay? If you have any kind of church background, you grew up in church, you all tried it at the pool. I know you did. You came off the edge, and you went and thought, I could walk on water. And you went, splash, right into the water. But, but, but we know that. But what if we were in a boat, and that very same water that we know we can't walk on under us became a storm? All of a sudden, you're in a storm. How would we react? Well, church, listen. If you're taking low, let me give you the principle real quick. The principle of our lesson today is life is full of storms. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to build our faith. You guys tracking with me? We need to grasp that principle. Why? Because, again, think about this, guys. We all have storms. We all have storms, right? Some physical and some emotional storms. And there are storms that will come in our lives or maybe have come in our lives and a storm that devastate our lives. You see, a storm can be a job loss. If you've ever had one of those and you show up to work and you have plans and they say, sorry, I got to let you go. A storm can be the death of someone you love. Maybe a spouse or a child or even a friend. We saw that this week. Your child, guys, could be in trouble. He or she could be addicted to drugs or alcohol. That's definitely a storm. A storm could be even your marriage, and your marriage is crumbling, and you don't know what to do. Or relationships with loved ones are, are in jeopardy. Or like us, a couple of years ago, the storm may be a diagnosis the doctor gives you. You see, storms, church, listen, storms in life aren't weather-related. There's, there's a lot of storms that we have in this life. And here's what I want you to grasp, guys. No one is exempt from the storms of life. You see, the problem is, church, is that there's, there's, there's some false teaching going around. If you give your life to Jesus, you'll never have to weather the storm. And that's false teaching. 
That's bad doctrine. Why? Because, guys, none, none of us are exempt from the storms of life. And just as the disciples who initially feared the storm later came to revere Christ more, they first feared the storm, and they're like, now, see, the storms we face can bring us to a deeper knowledge of God. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm not into the false doctrine that says, hey, give your life to Jesus and you'll never have another problem again. See, it's the problems and the storms and the trials that draws me closer to the God that I love. That's exactly what it did for his disciples. And again, we sit here and we shake our head. Why? Because we may not understand why God allows trials to enter our lives. And a lot of times we ask that three-letter word, why? What did I do? We often feel like trials are punishment for something we may have done in our past. Oh, you didn't pray very much. I'm in a trial. No, no. Guys, trials in our lives allows us to thank him that through them we can know who he is. We can live to serve him because he has preserved our lives. Well, if you're taking note, I'm calling this message Peace in the Storm. And you go, why are you calling it that? Well, for today, we discover a storm in the Sea of Galilee. Now, here, here's what I want you to grasp, okay? John doesn't really give us a whole lot of details, so we have to go over to Mark, and, and we'll have to go over to Luke, and we'll have to get some Matthew stuff in there because they're, they're, they're a little bit more descriptive. We know Mark, Luke is a doctor, so he's telling us all kinds of stuff, but John's just kind of give us a snapshot. But we do know this, it is a storm. And in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water. And what he wants his disciples to learn is that they can trust him and he would be with them under all circumstances. You got that? That's a very important point to make, that you can trust Jesus, listen to me, that you can trust him and that he'll be with you under all circumstances. Now, why should I write that down? Well, because most pastors would stand up here and give you and quote a verse and say, you know what, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, you know what, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's cool. I get that. But sometimes when we're in the middle of the storm, we don't know what that verse means. I'll never leave you, but I feel like I'm left alone, you know. And, and so we got to dig a little bit deeper. We do know this. We know he wants to teach the disciples something. You and I are his disciples, so we need to learn. Now, Remember where we left off, okay? So let's kind of continue on that thread. You go, where did we leave off? Well, it was the feeding of the 5,000. Just an incredible miracle. We know it was 5,000 men, okay? It was an incredible miracle. So impressed by this miracle, guess what happened? They were wanting to take him by force to make him their king. Are you kidding me? Now, I want you to think about this, okay? To feed 10,000 people or 15,000 people, you would have to know that the disciples would have to have a huge amount of surplus. Well, of course, the crowd comes and goes, they don't have surplus, so this is actually a miracle. I was full. My wife was full. My children ate. We were, we were full. You understand? We didn't want any more food, and yet the disciples came by and picked up 12 baskets. That's a miracle. He must be a king. Well, guess what, guys? This miracle, they were prepared to take him by force, but it wasn't God's timing. So what does Jesus do? I love his heart. Why? Because now the Bible says that he's going to go up to a mountain and pray. He's going to go up to the mountain by himself and pray. Well, his disciples didn't follow him. They get in a boat, and they're going to kind of go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and, 
And, and again, I mean, I want you to think about that. Jesus goes up to pray, and I love his heart. But what I need to do is I need to take a moment to set the stage, right, before we jump into our text. Let me just kind of paint a picture of what's going on in the life of our Savior. The day begins with sorrow. You go, how so? Well, Jesus gets the news that John the Baptist, his cousin and forerunner, had been beheaded. Can you imagine? The very first day of ministry, hey, guess what? Your cousin, the forerunner, the greatest prophet that had ever lived, is dead. What? Yeah, you know, Herod, he just, boom, wow. And so, right? So John the Baptist is dead. He was the only person alive at that time who really knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Herod, if you will, he wants to see Jesus, but not in a good way. He's not like going, hey, I want to see Jesus. He's like, bring me Jesus, right? So all of a sudden, our Lord and Savior's got a hit on him. You know, he's got to watch his back, if you will. And in his sorrow, guys, is interrupted. However, by the return of the disciples, he had sent them out previously. And they were excited. They were wanting to share what God had done, right? So Jesus responds by wanting to get some alone time with his disciples. So he says, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's go and, and we'll get away and we'll hang out and we'll, we'll call it a leadership retreat, if you will. And so they get in a boat, right? And they head over across the Sea of Galilee, right? Sea of Tiberias. But guess what? The crowd begins to follow. And you remember last week, Jesus lands right there on the shore of Bethsaida, Right? He steps out of the Sea of Galilee, but now all of a sudden he steps into the Sea of Humanity. You go, what do you mean? There are about 10,000 people coming toward him. That's a lot of people, right? And he's looking at them right now. I mean, think about a wild day. It was a day filled with extreme emotions and demands. You go, how so? Well, he started off with intense sorrow. It was the death of his friend. It was the death of his cousin. And it was immense threat. Why? Well, Herod wanted to see Jesus. There was immense joy. Why? It's because disciples are coming back and they're learning and they're growing. And I know as your pastor, there are times when I see you grow and it brings me great joy. Pastor, you won't believe it. You won't believe this. And this is how God spoke to me. And this is how God used me. And I just smile. And Lord, it just brings me great joy. And that's what Jesus was doing. Of course, you have the, intent, the immense crowds, right? Everybody, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Let's follow Jesus. And, of course, he has insensitive interruptions. He wanted to go get rest, but he got people. He got people. But I want you to see something right here, guys, because I think it's the heart that we should have. I want you to see the heart of our Savior. You go, what was that? See, Jesus was always about people. Okay, you understand that? Sometimes, sometimes many pastors or even in our own minds will paint Jesus as he was stern and strict and he had to get the mission done. And no matter what he was going, he had the mission. But you need to understand, our Lord and Savior, he was about people. He had a heart for people. That was the whole purpose of him coming is that he loved people, guys. And, and the people here, they needed ministry. They needed ministering to. And I just think, guys, I think having the heart of the Lord I think is built into our core values as a, as a church, right? Our core values are what? We need to love God first. And that's, that's, that's going to be key in anything is that we love God. From he's the source that everything else all flows. So our first core value is that we love God no matter what. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should love God. But our second core value is what? To love people. To love people. Church, I don't, I don't want to be a church that looks on somebody and judges them based upon 
the color of their skin or what they look like or the clothes they wear or anything else. What I need, what I want to know is people need to be loved back to life. And, 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 and that's one of our core values. And that's what Jesus did. He loved, he loved people. But listen, our, our third core value is we need to live radically. We need to live radically. And that's going to come back up in our teaching just a little bit later on, okay? But let's jump back to number two. We're called to love people. See, we exist as a church, guys. We exist. Listen, listen y'all come here. Right? We all gather together on Sunday morning. We listen to music, we worship music, and Josh is playing, and the band is, sounds great, and we're singing our hearts out. But, but really, what we're about is we're about people. We're about each other. Right? Because we come and go, how you doing? Doing good, brother. Doing good, sister. But inside, we might be crumbling, and sometimes we need to be able to go, hey, how are you? It's been a really rough week, and we're able to, 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 to love people here in the body, but also we're about people outside of this church. You see, our ministry should be about people. Mark, guys, tells us that Jesus immediately went into what? Into ministry mode. Could you imagine our Lord and Savior get off the boat, turn around, and see 10,000 people and go, Oy vey, oh, can I get a break? One minute, people. That's not, what, that's not who Jesus is. That's who I am at times. I'm tired. I've been ministering all day. And I go home at 6.30. I'm tired. I'm t-. Jesus goes, oh, the people are coming. And he goes into ministry mode right away, guys. Why? And I, I, I want to have the heart of Jesus. And he begins to teach them. You remember? He begins to heal them. He begins to minister to their needs. And I think we need to be so careful that we don't get so ministry-minded that we lose sight of people. We don't want to be so, so formal as a church, as Calvary Chapel, that we miss people. You go, well, can you illustrate that? Yeah, let me illustrate it with this story. It was around the turn of the century, there were two of those large paddle boats going down the Mississippi River. Sailors on one boat challenge the other sailors on the other boat to a race. It's on, let's go. And, and well, one of the boats started to fall behind just a little bit, quickly burning their supply of coal. They had just enough coal to make the trip, but not a race. Well, then it was one of the young sailors had an idea. He started to throw the cargo they were being paid to transport into the furnace, and they discovered it burned as good as coal. Listen, well, they won the race, but they burned up the cargo they were supposed to transport. You go, what's the point? Guys, I think a lot of ministries do the same when they get so focused on their plan and even their ministry that they forget about people. We're going to do this. We're going to, I don't care what to do this. Now, listen, here's my exhortation to you and to me. We need to have a heart like Jesus, which is about people. And when people come into our church and they don't look like us, and they don't smell like us, and they hadn't bathed, do we snicker? Do we sit there and go, look at that guy? I don't know. We want to love those people. Why? Because they're still created in God's image the same as us. That takes work. We've been conditioned in our culture. We have classism. And in this church, it should never be someone going, oh, oh. I love the fact that God has brought a church of diversity. And, and I just love it. 
I just love the fact that there's all kinds of people. Why? Because we're, we're about people. Well, we know the story. Jesus then turns to Philip. Do you remember he sees, he sees a lot of people and he asks he asks Philip a question even though he knew what he was going to do. And I always, I always get the picture, you know, he goes, hey, I got a question. And I figure all the disciples are lined up and, and they all take one step back and it leaves Philip just standing there, right? He's just kind of in the middle and he's like, Philip, what? Oh, you know, his, his, his disciple bros throw him under the bus. And he says, uh, Jesus lift up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming to him, he said to Philip, right? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew himself what he would do, right? So, so what does the test do? The test for us, guys, wants to build our faith. So there's going to be storms in our lives. There's going to be tests in our lives, but they're to build our faith. Philip, yes, sir. Well, how much food? How much food are we going to buy? I don't even know what we're going to do. You know, are you kidding me? Listen, we'd all have to work eight months to just feed these guys for one day. Jesus, this is crazy. Send them away. Y'all go home. Eat at your own house. This ain't a buffet. Isn't that what we would do, right? Right? Here's what I love about this text. If you've ever been to Grandma's house, I think God does the same thing at Grandma's house. You ever been to Grandma's house and, and, and all the uncles and aunts get there and you're with your cousins and Grandma starts putting out stuff. And I mean, they're little bowls like this. And everybody eats, and she puts more back. I'm just like, I've seen that work. I mean, somehow Jesus, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. Well, guess what Jesus does? He feeds, guys. He feeds all of them. He feeds all of them, and he teaches them, and he heals them. And he even has 12 baskets left over. I say, gather those up. Let's not let anything waste. Let's not let anything waste. So that's where we left Jesus off. Huge miracle. Now, that's where we pick up our story. Look at verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, quote, this is truly the prophet, everybody see that? Who has come into the world. Now, guys, think about this. This is a remarkable statement of proper conclusion. You go, what did you just say? It's true. They're going, hey, this is the prophet. The problem is it's followed by a terribly wrong response. You see, they saw the miracle happen in their minds. They probably went back to Deuteronomy 18, verse 5, although they didn't have chapter and verse breaks. But here's what it says. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. So they're going, this must be, help me, the prophet. This must be him. And in their minds, they're thinking, remember, how, remember when God fed who? The people in the wilderness with manna from heaven? And Moses shared with the people. Well, the people started going, Moses, we, we, we know Mo-. They started to connect the dots and they go, we just got fed. We just got fed, man. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, yeah, the manna didn't come from heaven, but this is, he must be. You see, the strange and sad thing was that when they reached that proper conclusion, they immediately, what? They reacted in a very improper way. You go, what happened? Look at verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived, here's what they wanted to do, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain himself alone. 
So Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Listen, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it, guys. And they're coming to go, we need to make, he's the prophet. We need to make him king. He needs to kick Rome out of here. Go, Jesus, team Jesus. And he's like, oh, no, gosh, you're missing it. So what does he do? He says, man, you've come to the wrong conclusion. And where does he go? He goes up to the mountain alone. You guys see that? Jesus says, I got to get out of here. And he goes for finally some alone time, alone time. Now, Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray, to pray, right? Now, let me give you a spoiler alert, okay? I bet as Jesus goes up from the mountain, now, now Alice can back me up, but if you go to Israel today, all around the Sea of Galilee by Tiberias are huge mountains. And, and it's <coughs> really easy to oversee the sea. It's really easy to see everything down there on these huge mountains, and it's beautiful. And so Jesus says, you know what, listen, y'all eat, boys, you stay here. And he goes up to the mountain, and he's probably sitting there, and, and I bet he's praying. Why? Well, Matthew and Mark tells us that he's praying but let me give you a little spoiler alert. Why do you think, Pastor, he's praying for his disciples? Why do you say that? Because we know, based on our text, they're about to go into a storm. They're about to, right? They're about to get in a boat here in a little bit, and they're about to go into a fierce storm in their lives. Look at verse 16 with me, guys. Now, when evening came, his disciples went where? Down to the sea, got in the boat, and went over to went over the sea to Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea rose because a great wind was blowing. Now, John doesn't really give justice to what's happening here, okay? The boys, you and I, were standing around. We saw a miracle. We still can't believe it. We know we got 12 baskets of food, so we're cool there. But, but, but our leader's not here. He went up to pray, and it's getting dark, and we need to go home. Where is home? Home is across the street, straight over to Capernaum. Okay, Tiberius sits here. You'll go straight over to, and it's like, well, maybe, you know, uh, okay, let's see. Um, the disciples, well, it's getting dark. It's getting dark. Um, let's, go, let's go home. Maybe Jesus is at home base. You see, Capernaum was home base. Jesus was not with them, so they probably assumed, well, what if he walked? What if he just wanted to spend some time and, 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 and go. And maybe he just wanted to pray as he walked. And maybe he's already home. Maybe he's waiting for us there. Well, they get in the boat, guys, and they begin to row, row, row your boat, right? That's what they're doing. They're heading home. And a storm breaks out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's the thing. I want you to picture this in your mind, okay? The sea really is a lake. It's a freshwater lake, but it's surrounded by mountains all the way around, Okay. When the wind would come over the mountains, okay, when it would hit the mountains, it would come as such a force that it would, it, you, uh, a storm on the sea could pop up at any time. But now, now remember, Peter and the gang, they're used to this, right? They know, they know, they worked on this before. They're fishermen. This ain't anything new to them. But it happens so quickly. See, they're just thinking, let's just go, let's just go, and all of a sudden, boom, boom, Right? A storm breaks out on the sea. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. You go, why? Where's Jesus right now? You go, well, I think he's in the mountain, right? I think he's in the mountain. Well, we know according to verse 15, he's in the mountain. He went up to the mountain to be alone. But I bet you he's looking down at them 
and he sees the storm brewing. And Jesus is watching them. And now he sees them going, and now he sees them struggling, right? And they're just toiling and struggling. Come on, heave, ho, come on. And the wind is blowing, and all of a sudden, they've got this major storm going on. And Jesus is in the mountain, and he's watching all of this. Mark tells us, guys, Mark tells us that they were straining at the wind. Now, can I just tell you, this brings joy to my heart. You know, Pastor, you're crazy. You're seriously, how could this, how could, no, let, me, let me see if I get this straight. You're joyful because Jesus is in the mountain watching his disciples struggle in the storm. I am, and here's why. Listen, it's a beautiful picture of, of Jesus, our high priest right now, looking down and praying for us. It's a beautiful picture. He's watching out for us even when we go through the storms of our life. What do you mean? Well, if you have a pencil handy, jot this down. It's Hebrews chapter, five, chapter 7, verse 25. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, he who is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus right now is praying for us. He's looking down and he goes, Bob, I see you. I'm praying for you. Alice, I know what you're going through. You see, that brings joy to my heart. Why? Because I don't have to go through this life alone. He's up there. And this just gives us a beautiful picture of what we already see going on. Now listen, this is how you and I can have peace in the storms of life. Why? Knowing that he's always praying for us, even in the midst of a storm. He's praying for us. So, Where are the disciples? They're in the middle of a storm. Okay, they're rowing, and they're trying to get home, and they're not going very far, and now you've got waves crashing, you've got wind blowing, rain probably, who knows. But Jesus is watching, and now think about this, guys. Think about the storm for just a moment, because the story teaches us several things, does it not? You go, like what? Well, number one, jot this down. God sometimes sends us into the storm. What? God at times will send us into the storm. Why? Because remember, Jesus says, I'm going to go pray. You guys cross over. Well, John didn't tell us that. No, it was the other gospels. He said, cross over, go. And sometimes, sometimes you go, whoa, okay, so what's the purpose, man? What's the purpose? Guys, he wants to build our faith. Remember the principle. The principle is we need to be able to trust Jesus in the good times and in the bad times. And sometimes he tells us because there's a lesson that we need to learn, that we need to learn. But we can, even in the midst of a storm, be rest assured that God is with us and that he's watching over us. Why? Because the Bible says he's our high priest praying for us. So sometimes he says, yeah, listen, this is how it's going to go. And you go, okay. Sometimes, God sometimes delays his rescue. That's the second thing we can learn. You ever cry out to God, God, save me now. And some of you are like, where is he? I was reading in the Psalms. Of course, if you're, if you're reading with us on the, on the, on the, the, the one-year Bible, you realize that, that David is a lot like that, man. God, where are you? Yesterday. 
please. And, and I think sometimes God delays his rescue. Why? Because, because he hasn't come to them. Look, look at verse 19, the first part. It says, so when they had rowed, what, about three or four miles, God's watch, Jesus is watching them, and they're rowing. And one mile, two mile, three miles, right? In Mark's gospel, it reads like this. In Mark 6, 47 and 48, it says that when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. So Jesus sees that, and he's delaying his rescue. Why? Here's why. Listen. Because God wants us to grow in our walks with him. We have to develop our spiritual muscles. Right? Don't we do that as parents? We allow our kids to grow and do things and try things without being helicopter mom and dad. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Oh, be careful here. Sometimes they have to fall. I don't like it. I want to protect my kids, my grandbabies from everything because I don't want them to hurt. But sometimes they need a bump on the canoggin, right? So they understand, oh, I've got a, okay, I get it. There's a lesson to be learned here. And, and, and the Lord says, listen, I'm not going to rescue right away. Why don't you go out a couple of miles and then you can, you can grow your spiritual. How's that? A lot of that, guys, is, is, is Bible reading and praying and, and exercising those muscles. That's what, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to develop, right? Sometimes God delays his rescue. Why? Well, if you're taking out, let me give you three real quick, okay? God uses delays. You guys ready? He uses delays in our life to prepare us, to prepare us. Prepare us for what? Well, let me give you an illustration. You guys remember when the Israelites were a slave people in Egypt, Right? And they were not prepared for war. And God knew if they went out to war, they wouldn't be able to handle it. Every dream, right, has its difficulties. God used delays to get us ready for those difficult times that we're going to face during the course of our journey. These delays are designed to strengthen our faith and to make us stronger. So, guys, he's trying to prepare us. He's trying to prepare us. What's another one? Well, God uses delays, guys, to test us, to test us. Deuteronomy 8 and 2 says this, God led you through the wilderness for 40 years. Yes, Lord, testing you to find out how you would respond and if you would obey him. Some of those tests are what? Some of those delays are to test. What's in your heart? Do you ever, ever wonder what's in your heart? Right? As you, I mean, does not, is, is not your heart revealed when you go through a trial? It sure is, isn't it? Nobody else might see it. They might say, man, you're pretty tough. You're hanging in there. Amen, praise God. And you're over here crying on the corner. Oh, God, save me. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It reveals our heart. It reveals how close I should be walking to Jesus. And, and so I think God uses te- delays to test us. God uses delays to test how we will respond under pressure and test our loyalty and obedience to him. Church, I wonder, I wonder if, if in this world we're ever going to get to the point where, where loyalty and obedience is going to be tested. 
we know that we know that in the in the in 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 the universal church that people are are being tested by their own lives do you love jesus enough i wonder if we're sitting here one day and we're preaching the word of god and all of a sudden the doors fly open and you have government officials or whoever you want to call them and they come in and they say hey listen how many of you are really sold out for Jesus? And so we're sitting here, we're going, well, I am. I, I love Jesus. And they said, okay, come with me. And all of a sudden, the doors open, and we see several crosses lined up in the parking lot. And if you're, if you're really a follower of Jesus, that's, that's your destiny. Oh, 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 hold up. <laughs> hold up. I didn't know what you meant. I'm not sure. What do you mean? Listen, I love Jesus, but listen, hey, I'm not all radical. I mean, I mean, Josh invited me to church. I don't even go to this church. I don't even know who the pastor. Listen, hey, I just, I'm leaving. I'll see you. Or would we be willing to go, Lord, I love you, and I'll follow you, even if it means death. I want to be loyal and obedient to God. And of course, the third one, guys, God uses delays to train us. Why? Why do we need training? Here, listen to this. Because sometimes it takes longer to get Egypt out of us than it does to get us out of Egypt. Right? You know that song? God's still working on me. You remember that? To make me what I ought to be. Sometimes, sometimes, man, listen, we've come out of the world, right? We've come, I'm saved, I'm saved. But sometimes God takes some time to get the world out of us. That's Okay. Because his delays are to train us. Now, back in our story, guys, verse 19. So when they had rowed about, what, three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. I guess I would be too. Are you kidding me? We've had a very emotional day. Things are, you know, we saw a miracle, and now we're just trying to get home. Ever do that? I'm just trying to get home, and here comes somebody. They don't know who he is, and, and they're just freaked out. Peter, Peter, who's that? Peter, the, some people, it's a ghost. I don't know. Ah, but notice what he says. But Jesus said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Guys, we can have peace in the storm for this reason, Okay. We can have peace in the storm because now it's a storm. They're freaking out. They see somebody walking to them, and it's Jesus. But here's what I want you to jot down, okay? This is what I want you to take home. You can have peace in the storm because the storm has always been under Jesus' feet. The storm is always under the feet of our Savior. Oh, we might be going through it, but we know that he can walk on water. Now, here's what I want to do, guys. I want to say goodbye to John's account, okay? And I want to turn over to Matthew chapter 14. It's the same account, picking it up in verse 27. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. Uh, let me show you that in the storm, you can have peace, okay? Now, here's what, as you're turning there, or maybe you're already there, that's cool. Here's what I want you to, I want you to grasp, okay? I love that John doesn't give us Peter's failure, you know what? John just says, notice what John says. John says, hey, we thought, we thought we were freaked out about it. It was Jesus. Jesus said, as I don't be afraid. Next thing he writes is, we were on the other side. Amen. He leaves it at that. It's a snapshot. And I love the fact that, listen, 
Here's a great principle for us to learn. If we're going to have the heart of Jesus, we need to quit pointing out other people's failures. We don't need to be right, hey, well, listen, man, you know what? You were doing good up until yesterday when, when I saw you, you know, we need it. We just, John just goes, man, Jesus is working. Jesus is working. Well, I love that about John, okay? Just a little, just a little nugget there, okay? He wants to give us and tell us that there was, the miracle was what Jesus was walking on the water. But Matthew gives us an account because we need to learn something even more. Matthew chapter 14, picking it up in verse 27, but immediately Jesus uh, spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, so now they're parallel right here. Same thing Jesus says, right? Matthew's getting it, John gets it, but notice, notice something changes. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Church, listen, we've all heard this story. We've all heard about Peter. Peter's like, if that's really you, Jesus, bid me to come. I want to walk on water. I try to put myself in Peter's sandals for just a moment. Why, what, would he, what would possess him to do that? What would possess him to do that? I'm just like, you know, like, Peter, dude, what are you doing? If it's Jesus, I want to walk on water. Well, if it's not Jesus, you're going to drown, dude. But... I couldn't figure it out. But nonetheless, let's, let's, let's go on, right? So, Lord, if it's you. And so, Jesus, I, I'm just, listen, listen, he just smiles, right? There's all kinds of storm going around, and he says, come, Peter. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Way to go, Peter. Now, just a side note, how many of you know that Peter's going to blow it? How many of you know he's going to mess up, right? We know it. But here's what, I want you, here's what I want you to grasp, guys. You ready? Here's just a side note. I want you to know that Peter is the only one who got out of the boat. Peter's the only one who wanted to see who Jesus and do greater things in his life. Pastor, I've got a question. Pastor, doesn't Peter really mess up bad? Yeah. But Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. Listen, guys, can we be a church? Can we be a church that gets out of the boat? We're going to make mistakes, guys. But at least we can say, I got out of the boat. We're going to make, we're going to blow it. We're going to fumble. But at least you can go, ha, what happened? Man, I feel like that was a waste of time. But at least you got out of the boat. At least you said, I want to see what God will do. I want to step out in faith. Why? Well, remember our third, do you remember our third core value? It's live radically. Peter lived radically. Why? He's going to walk on water. Where are you in this story, church? Are you sitting in the boat, freaked out? Way to go, Peter. Or are you going, I'm going to get out of the boat too. I want all that God has for me. I want to get out of the boat. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that when we get out of the boat and we mess up, okay, then, then, then we're, we're, we're defeated, we're ridiculed, we, we feel like we're this big, and nobody remembers that Peter's the only one who got out of the boat. If Peter would have walked on water and been dancing out there, and Jesus, everyone been like, oh, Peter, you're my hero. 
Peter's the only one that got out. Guys, can we be a church? If, if we're going to see God do big things in our life, if we're going to live radically for him, I think we need to get out of the boat. We need to take some chances in our lives, in our walks, in the church, despite the fact that we, we can mess up. We can mess up. Well, look at verse 30. But when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, he freaked out, in my translation, and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me! Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and he said to Peter, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when, look at verse 32, and when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Okay, everybody with me? Look at verse 33, this is a great verse, okay? Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So Peter, right? Ah, right? Jesus, God save me. Peter, come on, we're both on the boat. The boat gets to where it's going. And verse 33 is key. And you go, why? Well, let me close with two important points, guys. Josh is going to make his way up, but I want to close with these two important points. Here's what I want you to grasp, okay? I want you to see the heart of Jesus, okay? I want you to see the heart. I want you to note that no one is pointing fingers at Peter. Peter messed up. Peter almost drowned, okay? Where's Peter now? He's probably sitting at the corner of the boat, shivering, soaking wet, and nobody's going, <laughs> I told you, Peter, golly. Jeremy, did you see Peter? <laughs> oh, my God, cuckoo. Why would he do that? Nobody's doing that. Why? Nobody's doing that because Peter got out of the boat, guys. Nobody's laughing at Peter. Nobody's gossiping about Peter. Nobody's going, hey, did you hear about Peter? Let me, listen, listen, I'm gonna put it on my Instagram. Look, look, there's Peter. And he's over here going, because he probably felt, what, how do you think Peter felt? Dumb? Jesus like, oh, why did you doubt? Oh, you little faith. And what is he thinking? Man, I have no faith. And the enemy's going, you should have never gotten out of the boat. Guys, we don't need to be pointing fingers at people when they make mistakes. What we do need is be pointing them to Jesus and saying, it's okay, you tried. You tried. You tried. Don't we do that with our kids when they, when they try something? You tried. You did so good. You did wonderful. But I didn't make the touchdown. I didn't. That's okay. You tried. I'm proud of you. Nobody points fingers at Peter, guys. None of the disciples are murmuring. And Peter is sitting there in the boat, shivering and wet. In this life, listen to me, we can mess up, but be rest assured that no one should pass judgment on our faith. It's a lesson we can learn. So here's what the storms do in our lives, guys. Last one. You ready? The storms, the mess-ups, well, they, they lead us to moments of worship. What do you mean? Well, after the storm, what are they doing? They're not pointing fingers. They're worshiping. And here's what I find interesting. They had never worshiped as a group before, and now they're worshiping. This storm produced 
worship. And I love what Max Licato writes, and he writes this, when you recognize God as creator, you will admire him. When you discover his strength, you will rely on him. But when he saves you, then you will worship him. End quote. Guys, when he rescues you, no longer content to keep him at a distance. The rescue leads to worship, and worship brings peace. The storms in our life, guys, bring moments of worship. And nobody, nobody knows what you're going through, but there you are with hands lifted high, and it's between you and God. And here's the thing, our rescue, when God saves us, when he sustains us, when he walks with us, when you should have been dead, but God saved you, that brings worship. Why? Peter was drowning. Had Jesus not got him, I mean, maybe he could swim, but he might have been fully, I don't know. But I know that we can have peace in the midst of the storm. Okay, here's the lesson. You ready? Here's the lesson to take home. The miracle, the miracle was designed to demonstrate that Jesus would be with them under all circumstances. That was it. That, that was the point. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'll come walking on your storm and I'll be with you and I'll get you through the other side. Listen, you might be in a storm here today, but you're going to get to the other side. You're going to get to the other side. When, Pastor? I don't know, but hang in there, learn the lesson, and get to the other side. And when you get to the other side, here's your reaction. Uh, I never want to go through that storm again. Why? Think about the disciples. When next time they got in a boat, were they like, uh, remember the last time we were out here? Yeah, I do remember the last time we were out here. Remember what happened? Jesus saved us, and we worshiped him. That's peace. Let's go. Let's go. Lord, you're gracious to us, and we thank you for your word. I want to learn the lesson, God. I want to learn the lesson. Lord, I can have peace in the storm. I don't particularly like storms, but I know if you're with me, then I'll hold on to you, and I'll close my eyes, and I'll walk by faith. Help us to trust you, God, today, to build our faith, to, to exercise those spiritual muscles. God, we love you. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227.
Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.